Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? It's a very proud day for me, man. Uh, you want to know why? Why? Uh, back in, I think, I want to say it's 2017, maybe even to, even earlier than that, in one of the many NBA ranks I had completed that you incessantly mocked me for, I had a certain Serbian center on the Nuggets named Nikola Jokic ranked number 13. And I remember how much grief I got for it at the time. I remember a lot of like, who the hell is Jokic? Like, he doesn't hold a candle to Cousins, like, et cetera, et cetera. You know, fast forward six, seven years, and it looks like I was 12 spots too high after he just clinched the Nuggets' first trip to the NBA Finals with also their first sweep in franchise history, 4-0 over your beloved Los Angeles Lakers, and we're on to the next round. Okay, first of all, I've given you credit so many times on this podcast for Jokic, right? So I don't know why you have to, how many victory laps are you going to do around this? I was actually the first one to predict his MVP, his first MVP, 25 to 1 odds at the beginning of the season. I called it, you didn't. So I think, you know, I'm, I can take some credit too, but granted, sure. I don't know if it's 2017, you had him ranked as high as 13. I have to go check. You definitely had him higher than I did. So let's just put that to rest. Stop taking victory laps over this. We get it. I, you like the Jokic. It's funny because he's a two-time MVP and uh, obviously one of the best players in the world for the last several number of years. Yet this felt like a different kind of, not coronation because he's still got to win this whole thing, but like a different kind of acknowledgement of his greatness. And if you go back and look at his playoff numbers for the last three years, He's been pretty much doing this. It's just like with a shell of a team around him. So it's kind of funny just how that works with like the national consciousness. I know like guys like us, like we're watching Jokic all the time. We've been on this for years. It's like people joining uh, the party really late, maybe as late as I can remember for a guy of his caliber. Would you agree with that? I think you're right about that. I think that is, it's like only after they beat, the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, or are we now seeing yeah, some like, of the most mainstream personalities be like, this guy's the real deal? And it's like, where have you been the last couple like, of years? It's like, oh, wow, the Lakers. Okay, now I'm paying attention. <laughs> um, Yeah, it's fascinating, man, because it's like, look, I don't even, I can't even blame it on the international thing or the white thing. Like, Steve Nash, right, wasn't the most marketed player wasn't the uh had did not have championships to his name but i feel like after one t- uh one mvp he became pretty much household name everyone recognizes value he was hyped up a lot jokic never got to that point right even after two mvps yeah um and he's had more success than steve nash now and I, that's the parallel i always think about where another two-time mvp winner relatively not flashy not really marketed but Nash was so much more appreciated in as he was going through that journey than Jokic was. Well, I mean, we could take the white and the international thing out with a contemporary, right? Luca. Luca gets way more attention than I think Jokic does, and his greatness gets way more talked about than Jokic does. And what's interesting about that is they're both complete stat stuffers, right? So part of what Luca or Russell Westbrook would get credit for it was like oh they're doing everything their box scores looks insane every night like even rockets james harden whatever Jokic does that it's not like he it's like you have to look very hard to find his imprint on the game but i think because people look at him physically and (laughs) then there's a much bigger difference than when you're watching and you're like holy shit like this guy like moves like a ballerina at times like he's running off pin down screens and like almost like he's like a very slow version of like steph curry kind of coming around double picks gets the ball in the post instead of out at the three-point line and then goes to work. And so, I mean, that's the interesting thing. I think it's purely like – it's a well, I shouldn't say – I think it's a combination of play style, the fact that he's literally never spoken in like a public setting, <laughs> yeah. you know, since, we, since he came to the league, and the Nuggets are just a tier two to tier three franchise historically. So if this was happening for a more either – like a more boisterous owner, like a Mark Cuban or a, just a bigger city, then it wouldn't have taken so long. Um, but, you know, this is his first final trip, but he's been to a conference final. He's won multiple playoff series. Like his last three years, 30 games in the playoffs, averaging 30, 13, and eight. 
shooting 53% from the field, 41% from three. So this isn't like a one-time fluke run for him. And I don't think it's ever been fair to criticize. You know, I think somehow a narrative came out that, well, he's never done anything in the playoffs. And I think it's not fair to criticize that because his teams have been bad. Yeah, yeah I mean, He's put one... up the stats. I think it is fair, though, that no one gave him credit because we haven't seen him with a complete team in the playoffs. So on one hand, yes, you can't hold it against him. But on one hand, there was nothing to show yet that the numbers, even the gaudy numbers he put up in the postseason last couple of years, would translate to postseason success. And I think what's great about this run is that they went through the Suns, who are my favorite to win before the postseason, your favorite to win, right? They've got the yep. stars. He went through the Vets and the Lakers, who were favored in many people's eyes. So this wasn't even like a Mickey Mouse run. Um, this was literally going through some of the top teams. And the Timberwolves also were no slouch. I mean, yeah. you had them, what, third seed in the West before the season? <laughs> Speaking of takes. But anyways. Well, um, let's go back to the Jokic 13th overall take. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think that's the great part of it, too. It's that you can't even dismiss this run because he's gone through some pretty legitimate talent to get here. Yeah, I mean, if you had to craft the perfect route for him, the hardest route, quote unquote, it would be if the Lakers. Remember, the Timberwolves actually like almost would beat the Lakers right in that first playing yep. game, and they blew a lead. So if the Lakers had fallen to eight, we would have gotten this series like a month ago. Um, you go Lakers, Suns, Suns Warriors, Warriors. Yeah, that, that would be, wild. be <laughs> and the then like Celtics, right? But obviously now the Heat. But like, you know, that's that's the crazy thing. But I think Jamal Murray is. We were talking about this over text. Like, he may be the best player uh, to have never played in an all-star game. But if you look at his regular seasons, there was never a season where you're like, that was a miss on the all-star voters. Like, he didn't deserve – even this year, he averaged 20 points a game, six assists. Like, 50 players averaged 20 points a game this year. So, completely bizarre the version he turns into – um, when the when like the you know the limelight is, is out there and he gets to play like on the big stage, we've seen this effectively you know every time he's been in the playoffs and but we haven't seen him in the playoffs since the bubble. That's the crazy part about all of this. Um, so he's showing us exactly what he did. There was no fluke. But he was thirty points, fifty, forty, ninety in the Lakers series overall for the playoffs. You know he's averaging twenty eight a game and it's just totally different production than anything we see from him in the regular season. So what, what, what have you been most impressed by with him? Uh, it's, it's definitely felt like this is the first time that he's completely back and he's back to that bubble version. The regular season, he's had good games. He's had solid regular seasons last couple of years. It's just the, the burst, the scoring 10, 12 points in a row hasn't been there. And I think now he's finally got that streakiness back and that confidence back. Ultimately, it's, I think a lot of it's just confidence. And look, if you talk about best players to never make an all-star game, that's that list starts with Mike Bibby. Oh, he never made it. Oh, interesting. That's right. But but Jamal Murray is definitely up there, and he might be the next. But I think you, you bring up a good point. I think we get carried away because of the postseason performances. The reality is the regular season don't jump out the – they don't jump out at you. And given the number of good guards we have in today's league, um, it's still, it's not that impressive the numbers he's put up. But, but I don't know. Like, you know, one of the things I said that I was wrong about three years ago, four years ago, if we want to talk about bad takes, I said the Nuggets ceiling was determined by Jamal Murray. I thought Jokic would hit kind of, you know, his ceiling pretty quickly, and he did it. I said that in 2020, and he's only gotten better and now won two MVPs. And I thought Jamal Murray would have to be kind of the one, at least a 1B, even if he isn't 1A, uh, to Jokic and be like a 25 to 30 point per game score. And I, I came off of that the last couple of years, but at the same time, seeing this version of Murray, this is really what makes the Nuggets a top tier contender, title favorite every year, is if he can put up performances like this. Not day in, day out, but like, it reminds me of Kyrie with LeBron. You don't need Kyrie to go 30 every night, but you need him to have those high ceiling games to carry your team every now and then. And I think the Nuggets still do need him to be that kind of player. Um, but Jokic has also transcended to a level where you don't need that as much from Murray. But um, I still think the best version of this team is when Nug uh, Murray is a bona fide two, 
Michael Porter's good. He's he's also improved in many ways. His defense is great. But so much of their success, I think, the ceiling is still tied to Murray's scoring ability. I was going to say, like, isn't that a correct take? Like, it's it's a correct take in that it he does lift their ceiling, but I was wrong in that I thought Jokic was tapped out. Tapped out. Okay. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah, so Jokic has certainly gotten better, but if the last two years were any indication where they got absolutely rocked by Phoenix in 21 and Golden State in 22, the key missing piece, aside from other improvements they made, there's no way we can go this whole podcast without mentioning the addition of KCP and yep. uh, of Bruce Brown. But the main addition is, is, is Jamal Murray. And if you can get 30 points a game on that type of efficiency, like he led the team in true shooting percentage, blistering 65%. He led them in net rating. He was plus 17 per 100 possessions when he's on the court. Um, he had so many different ways. Like, was a game three that he had 30 in the first half? You know, he had multiple big shots. I think game one, when it looked like they were going to blow that lead after being up 20-plus, he had the five fouls. He hit clutch shots at the end. I mean, the two-man game is as good as we've seen in the pick-and-roll since, like, Stockton and Malone, basically. But the reality is, like, this team is in this position – because of Jamal Murray, meaning Jokic, his greatness, don't take it for granted, but almost more of an expected at this point. Like yep. that's what he's earned and everything goes as Jamal goes, if he can make shots and that's, what's going to be so fascinating, whether they play Boston or Miami, we'll, we'll get to that series here in a bit, but Miami and Boston both have good guard defenders in a way that the Lakers didn't really. And truthfully in a way that the Suns didn't really, especially after they lost Chris Paul uh, to injury. And so, he hasn't really faced an elite backcourt defensively. And I think both Miami, uh, especially with that Tyler Hero, and Boston, you know, with Smart and White, offer that. So it'll be fascinating to see how he gets loose because you know he will. Uh, he's just that good of a shot maker. But I think this will be his toughest challenge next round, no matter what. It will. And then, you know, one of the other things LeBron obviously likes to do is they were hunting, trying to hunt Murray on many of the mismatches. But LeBron's just not at that level anymore where he was, I feel like he was hunting Curry and wasn't even punishing Curry that much given he wasn't, yeah. the, the size strength advantage. Jimmy Butler's been doing that a lot uh, to, to White, to Willie, whoever he wants to go up against. They're going to hunt Murray as well on defense. And I think it's one of those things where if he starts, his shot's not going in, he's getting roasted defensively, he starts becoming a liability in some of these games. So, yeah. It will be interesting because the Heat present a much tougher matchup defensively and offensively. Jimmy's going to go at him. Well, well, because like if you look at last night's game, one of the reasons that um, the Celtics were able to pull away is they took Derek White off the floor, right? They replaced him with Grant Williams, and Butler couldn't really hunt anyone. Yep. Now you would do that if you knew because Derek White, like his main primary goal is to add defense. Like he can shoot and whatever, but you're never taking Jamal Murray off the floor. Yep. So that gives Jimmy Butler and it gives Jason Tatum prime player on the court to hunt. And they do have the fresh legs in a way that LeBron just didn't. Um, that being said to Murray's credit, first of all, I thought he competed defensively. And I also thought he did a good job getting out of those switches more after game one game one. It looked like he yeah. was giving it up for no reason. And then he just kept picking up fouls and it was like a bizarre, but, but Malone made a lot of, a lot of adjustments and you know, it's funny, like, remember after game one, they're like, Lakers are actually in the driver's seat. They figured out this Rui <laughs> thing. And it's like, what do you think the Nuggets are just going to be, like, in a cryogenic chamber for 48 hours and not, like, think about the game afterwards? Like, they're going to do something, right? Like, um, but I wanted to switch to, we're going to have a lot of time, and we're going to do a finals preview next week once we know who the other side of the matchup is. But I wanted to spend some time on the Lakers because this is probably the last uh, we're going to talk of them for this season. Questions swirling there's like eight podcasts that dropped about lebron's like six word comment around potential retirement um before we get to that like do you think like i just think about game four right how unfair is it to ask uh, of him um it's a fire alarm going out going out i don't know okay, I was like, is that me or is that you because i don't know what kind of cooking experiment is going on downstairs but um is it fair to ask of him what they're asking of him? Or is it is it just the nature of the game that he has in that he'll always play that lead role, no matter who you put around him or how you try to take the ball out of his hands, et cetera? That's just who he is. And LeBron? He can never really change. Yeah. No, I, I don't think it's fair to ask 
that of him. I think my takeaway from this series, and look, a couple uh, a couple pods ago, maybe the last pod or the pod before, I said Anthony Davis, them utilizing him mainly on the defensive end and not having to rely on him offensively is a winning strategy, right? Um, he's not going to be a 30-point-per-game guy, but if he plays the level of defense he does day, game in, game out, that's all you need, and he can give you 20 points maybe. After seeing the series and seeing LeBron, I I think it's the, the blame is not on LeBron. I think the blame lies on Anthony Davis. And I know it's hard to ask a player to be the main focal point on offense and the focal point on defense, but they've been trying to transition from LeBron to AD for the last couple of years now. And I think early in the season, we saw AD, like we all gave him kudos, right? When he's putting up 35 and 20 type games, we all said, oh, this is that top 10 player we've always talked about. And that player did not show up in the postseason. And he didn't show the aggressiveness and effort offensively that he did defensively. And I think this Lakers team is always going to be limited by that. LeBron is clearly not the same guy. He cannot handle the scoring duties in and out. He cannot punish mismatches anymore. He's getting stuffed at the rim. He doesn't have the same lift. His three-point shooting has completely abandoned him. So why is he being asked to be the primary scoring option? I think that is the problem. Like I think this team, as constructed, is still reliant on LeBron being the top scoring option. And we've seen that is not enough. Yeah. Well, it's his, it's his greatness to that he can get 30 freaking four and 31 points and a half, which is the most of his career after all the games that he's played. Um, and in a playoff game, at least, I think probably not regular season, but yep, in a playoff, playoff game. game. And it almost felt like a disappointment too, because of the way he finished down the stretch, but he cannot be expected to go 40, 10 and nine, you know, playing all the game. And I think Bill Simmons brought up the point of like, maybe he should have sat because why are you playing the whole game when you don't have the legs? I actually think that's a reasonable point, especially when you had the 15 point lead though, that got erased pretty quickly in the third quarter. But regardless of like the nuances of the game, I think it comes back to what you said is Anthony Davis, the guy that can, he, that can go get you 27, 28 a night. If you look at his series stats, like he averaged 27 and 14 and you and elite defense. And you're looking at it like, what more do you like? He's probably like, what more do you want from me? But it was really every other Davis, right? Like you literally looked at it and you go game one. Great. Game two, pedestrian. Game three, great. Game four, pedestrian, offensively at least. And it's hard if those are your two guys that you're going to go with. Because the Rui Hachimura experience, I bet, believe me, I've, I've ridden that train. It is exactly what you think. Like some games, he looks like gangbusters. Like, in fact, the game before the Wizards traded him to the Lakers, he had 30 points. And what did he do on game four? He went three of 12. And it's not a knock on him. It's just the fact that he's going to be that kind of player. Reeds, as great as he was, is only going to be able to do so much. So it's hard to construct this team if the primary scoring option has to be LeBron every night. And that's the way it's set up right now, short of, you know, major offseason moves. And unless they get Kyrie on some kind of crazy discount, I don't really see how you're going to get another kind of peak scoring presence next to him next year. And, and you know, the day-to-day, like, it's not just the inconsistency. It's the fact that LeBron and Davis, they both, in the fourth quarter of these games, the, this Lakers team relies on both of them defensively. When LeBron's not locked in and engaged defensively, they're a different team. But he's been for most of the postseason, and that's why they've been successful for the most part. Yeah. But these guys get like break down by the fourth quarter. Right. Like even against the Warriors, like we had the Lonnie Walker game where they're just content going to Lonnie Walker. Then we had the Austin Reeves, right? And at some point, one of these guys has to step up. Yeah. And LeBron just the shoot, you know, before when LeBron would get tired, he'd take some of those threes. He did that game seven against the Warriors in 2016. He get the mismatch on Festus Azili. He popped a couple threes, but he could hit those. So you had to respect it. I think at this point, his shooting is gone. So when he's tired, you can't even depend on that. And his driving, it's it's he's not getting the same lift. And so, yeah, 31 in the first half. But I, dude, if you were with me, I would have told you he's scoring under 10 in the second half. Like, there yeah. was no way he was going to drop 50 or 60 because he just can't. Well, and the thing is, like, a lot of people have been pointing to how close of a sweep this was. This was the logic the Nets were using last year versus Celtics, but that was much less competitive, I think, than this series, um, despite what the point margins say. Like, you can point to, like, 
two or three plays a game that could have easily swung the game in one direction or the other. But that's kind of the point, right? Like they couldn't make plays down the stretch because they were gas. Like it wasn't by accident that Jokic and Murray and Porter and all these guys and Gordon were making the plays. It was they had fresh young younger legs. And LeBron was in minute like 44 by that point. I mean, this guy led both teams in minutes at age 38 in year 20. It just feels – it's not like he wouldn't play that much. And he's obviously still a 30-point-per-game scorer in the regular season. So this isn't like a Ray Allen on the Heat version of LeBron, right, where it's like the tail end of his career in that sense. But it's unrealistic and just impractical to expect the quarter-to-quarter play-to-play dominance from him. And the fact that we do is just because he's been in our lives for so long and he hasn't felt like he has a meaningful drop-off. Like I said last week, this is the first time I've ever felt he looks really old. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that comes up and it comes back in bursts, but long, long, long-term, he just doesn't have it. And I think, I think a lot of it's the injury, right? I think the foot injury, if he had the same injury five years ago, he comes back and he's fine. But it's these injuries linger, they drag on. And I think he was feeling the effects. And that's not an excuse. That's just when you're that old, you're not invincible anymore. And we've seen only invincible LeBron for so many years. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I I always – I follow – obviously, I'm on Twitter. And it customizes the feed for me. So I get a lot of LeBron <laughs> fan accounts. Like and this LeBron day sexuals. in history, LeBron scratched his balls four yeah, times. Yeah, so it was funny. Like after game one, it was like, oh, don't worry. LeBron, you know, he uses game ones just to feel out the opponent. He's been here before. After game two, it was like – you know, Denver did what they need to do. Now LeBron goes home. Let's see what he does. Game it was like, the, you know, it was the, it was only six and 56 uh, was a record of being down two zero in the conference finals. <laughs> and LeBron had two of those wins. Remember? Yeah, exactly. That stat came up, right? <laughs> when they're down three Oh, it's like no team has ever come down three Oh that, but it, you know, this is just the latest challenge for LeBron. <laughs> it was just, and now and I love LeBron, but I was like, dude, this is not happening. I'm sorry. Just let it go. Well, how much credence did you put into the retirement pseudo tease there? Look, everyone made jokes. Everyone got their jokes off. It's obviously he's not going to retire. There is some attention seeking, some deflection of the series. But I actually think there's a kernel of not truth, but there is. He's finally contemplating like, yo, this is one of the hardest seasons he's had. Mm -hmm. They started off poorly. They had to remake the team. Had to really put in a lot of effort just to get to the playoffs. He had to play a lot defensively and offensively. Like you said, the most number of minutes. And I think that takes a toll on you. Um, and I, I say it's a lot like Brady, where no one's going to believe it when Brady says it. Um, but right in that moment, you're like, shit, this was a lot. I'd have mm-hmm. to think if I want to do this again. But a month later, guarantee Bron's going to be like, of course I'm back. So I think there was a rare moment of like, hey, maybe it's getting close to time. But I agree. He's not going anywhere. I think people over blew, over, may, over blew it for this. I don't know. It's a blew it or they over something. Over. Uh, they over blew it. They blew it out of proportion for this reason. <laughs> it's a good podcast. Good content here. <laughs> um, they blew it out of proportion for this reason. Because it's LeBron and he's like grandiose about everything he does. It's all calculated. People feel it's contrived, et cetera. They started making comments around like, oh, he wanted to take attention away from the Nuggets. He's using this as a leverage ploy for the Lakers and blah, blah, blah. It was just an old guy feeling old after he got their ass kicked and he got swept. That's all it was. I literally think, and it wasn't even like that big of a statement. He's just like, I got to think about my future. Yeah. If you're in year 20 and you've played that many minutes and you're literally the all-time leading scorer and you've done everything you could do in a basketball court, it is extremely natural to be like, I don't know how much more I have in this in me, right? His body was killing him. His foot was killing him. They just got swept. Um, I'm sure he wasn't like top of the world energy and excitement. So that was probably all it was. Um, the one thing I heard actually that a lot of people haven't been talking about is to like the biggest reason why he wouldn't retire. He's guaranteed another $100 million. And you could say, well, what's that to LeBron? You can make that anytime he wants. He's trying to buy a team and he's not shy about that. He kind of needs all the cash he can get when you think about the valuations of all these teams. Like the Suns just went for $4 billion plus. If he does bring a team to Vegas, that's going to be north of five. And I'm sure he wants to own it in a capacity that's more like Michael Jordan, which is the you know principal owner, than Magic Johnson, which is a minority owner. 
So all that being said, I do think there's a factor of like, well, I do have a hundred million dollars to come back for the next two years. So is that a reason to just keep going or not that it would be the only reason, but I thought that was an interesting point that I hadn't heard much of. And his career earnings is not that high, actually, because his first Cleveland stint, that was in a very different time. The contracts were not even close. The Miami Heat stint, he took a pay cut. So he's never even maximized his earning potential. So actually, $100 million, I think if you put it in the context of his career earnings, is a significant percentage. Well, um, he's earned $430 million as of now. That's see, that's twenty percent, twenty five percent over twenty five. Yeah, it's almost twenty five percent, right? So it's pretty significant for the last two years of a twenty two year career, if that's all it is for him. So anyway, there's bigger financial interests in play for him, which is not something you'd think about for a guy who's already a billionaire uh, and has earned half a billion on the court and has a million other non basketball uh, activities in play. But I think when you think about his aims, his goals, like. That, that's a big part of the calculus as well. And it times up with when that team might be ready to uh, come into the league. Yep. So one other thing I want to talk about the series before we go to, to Boston. Um, there was a lot of, it's, it's so funny because there's a lot been made that the Nuggets don't get talked about enough, right? Mike Malone himself called that out after games. You joked about it, how people were acting like the Lakers were in the driver's seat after game one. Um, so many people have been saying, oh, ESPN, you know, uh, only leads with the Nuggets, even after they got swept or only leads the Lakers. What are you, do you think, uh, I guess the question for you is why are the Nuggets so underrepresented? Like I get that the Lakers are always going to get their shine, but it also felt like the Kings got a lot of attention. Some other smaller teams get attention. The Blazers paper, do, right? Yeah. The Nuggets have two time MVP. Granted, he's not that exciting. They play an exciting brand of basketball. They've, you know, they can light it up at any given moment. So this isn't like the the Spurs, the twenty, the two thousand Spurs we're talking about. This is like an exciting team. So why do you think that they don't get as much attention as they should? Well, for one, they don't really have a rabid fan base, which I think generates a lot of the online chatter for sure. Like the way their Bally contract, and it doesn't get talked about enough, like they weren't even on local TV because of the way that the blackout rules work. And I don't even think I fully understand exactly what the reason was, but while they were in this Bally contract, and I don't think they are anymore. I'm not sure exactly what's going on. I know the Suns got out of there. It's like people in Denver could not watch Denver Nuggets games unless they were on national TV. Think about how insane that is. So you, you, you don't really develop the groundswell um, that you would normally uh, for a team of, with this pedigree. Two, I think because of the way the Jamal Murray injury was timed, they kind of were out of the consciousness of like championship contention for a while, especially while Jokic was building his ascent. So he was winning his MVPs in relative obscurity, right? They lost 4-0 to the Suns in round two, and they lost 4-1 to the Warriors in round one. So you're not really talking about a lot of these like holy shit moments since the bubble and the bubble, like we've talked about many times feels like (laughs) another lifetime ago. Right. And so I think that's part of the reason. And then it has to be the Jokic thing. Like he actively rejects the spotlight. He rejects the notoriety. He wins his MVPs and accepts them on a Serbian farm, like riding horses he does not get into any of the chatter like a Joel Embiid who's always doing interviews crying about how he deserves more shine. Like he doesn't complain to the refs nearly the way like a Luca does. So he's not that the antics aren't there. Like there's nothing about this team beyond the basketball. And if there's one thing NBA Twitter loves, it's everything but the basketball. So they don't offer it. And, and that, I think that's a big reason why. Yeah, those are all good points. I think the groundswell one is interesting. I never thought about it that way, but if your own fan base is not, senior games they're not developing that outwardly that passion that community of people who are fighting on behalf of Jokic like they do for Embiid for MVP things like that like think about what was the most uh popular part of the Kings season that everybody knew the beam exactly and that's something that the Kings did their fans got around and then it became like oh Darren Fox wins a playoff game let's all light the beam on national tv then it turns into something but it has to start locally. Yep. And and Fox is a more marketable star, right? Just because his play style and the clutch piece of it. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think I get why people talk about the Lakers more. I hate it, but, I mean, that's people want to talk about the Lakers. They don't want to talk about the Nuggets. And 
the Lakers this year, I think, were unique in that is a fascinating trajectory of a season. So they got even more discourse than usual because they were so bad that everyone was kind of shitting on them. They got so good for a second that everyone was like, could this team win the title? And then ultimately they they ended up falling short. So that was a big storyline, and I know Malone talked about it a lot, but uh, I think now finally that they're in the finals, hopefully they get some of that shine and attention. But well, it'll be interesting. Miami, if it's Nuggets it'll be heat, one of the then lowest, I don't know. Yeah, it's one of the lowest <laughs> rated finals probably we've ever seen. That's the problem. But I want to talk. Wait, I, one thing I talked to you on text that I want to talk about. People talk about parody. They talk about the fact that, um, look, the regular season doesn't matter now because the Heat, or I mean, they're still not done, but looks like the Heat will advance. And they're playing the Nuggets. And the Lakers adv- advanced pretty far, and they were seventh seed. The, the Warriors advanced pretty far, sixth seed. How much does the regular season matter? And I, I'm confused. Why, why do we always have to criticize something about the NBA? We criticized it for years when we thought only the best top teams won. And now we're criticizing it because we're saying that, oh, if a bottom seed wins the title or gets to the finals, that means the regular season product sucks and it doesn't matter. And I just feel like every other league, if you compare it to the NBA, has that happen. It happens in hockey. Bruins, as you you know, you had mentioned, just lost to, well, it's arguably the 16th team in, in the Panthers, right, in, in the NHL playoffs. We yeah. see it happen in baseball all the time. And they were the best team of all time. They're the, the best team of all time. The, not and just the this is in the first round, not the conference finals. We see it happen in baseball all the time. Granted, you have the wild card. You have some more wonky things that can happen. But basketball feels like the only sport where we don't see this too much. So the regular season to me actually matters a lot. Um, but I don't know. Did you have any takes on that? Or do you think that this, the way things have played out solidifies the idea that only the playoffs matter. No, I mean, look, I think we like to complain first and foremost. We generally prefer to be unhappy. Like, we all agree happiness is for losers, and we want to make sure that there is something out there that grinds our gears. So when it's Cavs-Warriors every year, we're like, there's no parity. When we get an eight seed in the potentially in the finals, we're upset that the regular season doesn't matter. So there really is no winning, except if, like, a three seed makes it every year where it's, like, a good, not great team that, that did try in the regular season. Um First of all, I don't think the Heat's run is necessarily indicative of much. I was extremely down on the Heat, so I'm by no means am I telling you that I'm not surprised with what's happening. But if you look at it, they literally brought back the same team that was the one seed last year and was a game within the a shot within the a trip to the finals last year, and they only lost PJ Tucker, who I crushed them for having made no changes other than losing PJ Tucker and relying on Caleb Martin and Max Struess and Gabe Vincent. And guess what? All these dudes got fire coming out of their ass all series, all playoffs. And so in one way, I would not, I'm not, I guess shocked is the wrong word because I am shocked. But if you look at it logically, the Heat are not at eight seed by any calculation in typical fashion. I don't know what they were doing all regular season. They were hurt a lot. They had, I think, the most games missed by injury. They also had like completely bizarre shooting luck in that they were the best three-point shooting team in the league last season. And again, they brought back basically every one of their shooters and they were almost one, among the worst. So now in the playoffs, it's kind of flipping back. Um, so, and I'm, this is on a tangent now because basically what I'm trying to say is like, I like the parody. I love that Miami's mixing it up in the conference final. I think it's good for the game because they're still a big market. If this was like an Indiana, respectfully, Shank and others, I don't know that I would be as enthused. But because it's a big market, it's a team that's been around a lot, it's, it's got a marketable star, I feel more interested. And in. I don't think there's some like cakewalk for Denver, by the way. It won't be. And, and actually, to your point, I think the reason Miami doesn't feel like that all the time, like a big market, is because the, the, the fan base is not as passionate and uh, expressive on Twitter. Right? I mean, because it's a very casual kind of fan base. So I think that also drives the why it doesn't feel like it's a big market. Like Nuggets Heat, it's being positioned as two small market teams or not Heat small market, but at least an underdog. Yeah. Whereas this is Miami. This is Pat Riley. This is a team that was a one seed last year. They should not be thought of that way. Yeah. So let's talk about that series um, in more depth. So it's 3-1 right now. Boston was uh, incredible in game uh, 
four, specifically in the second half, where they were down six going in the half. Tatum explodes in the third quarter. They start hitting threes from everywhere. And Miami lost a, you know, started a sort of important game. And, you know, for me, a lot of people are like, is Boston going to be the first team to ever come back from 3-0 and all this stuff? You had the Red Sox. You have, they were the first in baseball. By the math, the math would say that I think it's been done 154 times. The math would have said it should have been done at least once by now. Um, so we're actually like past the point of where probability says that every team up 3-0 will win. Boston's got a couple things going in their favor. Obviously, home court advantage, even though here's another stat for you. They're the first team with at least 15 home games across two playoffs to have a losing record. They're 10 and 11 in home. Um, and Jalen Brown is shooting like 2% on jump shots this, this playoffs. So he's been god-awful. But here's what I like about what Boston showed. All they did, they, they didn't have some out-of-body experience to win game four. They just played like the Celtics, finally. And so when you think about coming back to game five, and they're actually eight-point favorites, which is pretty wild for a team down 3-1. Part of this is like, well, if they just play like themselves and what everyone thought they'd play like, then they should be favored and they should be the better team. They were so bad three games in that you felt like that was their new normal, and maybe it's not, and maybe it was just a really bad blip. What do you think? Like, I mean, where are you at with this, and how much have you penciled versus penned Miami in into the next round. It's it's these things get so easy to talk yourselves into. Okay. You yeah, got one nice. game five at home. You get that all the pressures on Miami in game six, and then you're back home for a game seven. It seems like so easy to do. Um, even Laker fans are probably thinking that, right? If we just steal game four, just got to win one on the road, come back at home, etc. I think I want to think the Celtics can come back, but I just think they've shown, when you say, oh, they showed who they really are finally, I don't know. I think the team that they really are now is the team that in game six against Philly um, almost squandered that. They did come back and win, almost squandered that. Also let up opportunities in game one and then game four, right, where Harden went off. Uh, then game one and two to not take those seriously this series. Like this is a team that just is not, consistent in any set games they play and they've got too many flaws they've got Jalen Brown like you said his shooting issues Smart's not the same player Tatum's inconsistent and the coaching is a a huge question mark so I think they've got too many flaws that yes if everything goes well this team can easily win this series win the finals but there's always something that that crops up with them and the effort for some reason i don't know how to describe it it's beyond the stats it's like this team looks flat yesterday yeah. you talk about being down six at halftime they're down nine in the middle of the third quarter and i right. at that point i thought it was done i thought it was done too yeah and you had a good comment where you i think earlier in the game you said that the heat looked like they're playing down 3-0 yeah. like they were just playing harder and more aggressive and at a certain point i think that's just built into the way you approach the game and th- that's Maybe it's a product of a cancerous locker room. These guys don't like each other. Maybe it's a product of they don't believe in Joe Missoula. I mean, the hit pieces were already coming out after the last, after game three, right? About, um, I think Chris Haynes reported, the or one of the reporters reported the, co- the players don't believe in Missoula. All these things start leaking out and the series is not done. So this is all to say, I don't have confidence that this team can string this type of identity for three games in a row. Yeah. Um, they should be. They have the talent. I don't buy it. Yeah, I mean, when you factor in the regular season, this whole thing is really bizarre because the Heat had a negative point differential and the Celtics led the league in point differential uh, and net rating. I always felt like of the two teams down 3-0, the, the Celtics had the better chance to come back. I don't know how you felt because although the Nuggets-Lakers series was much closer – the reality is they were both playing. If both teams played as well as they could play, the Lakers are not better than the Nuggets. Yep. And so it was not going to happen four times that they out, outplayed the Nuggets. And they were playing well. So it wasn't like they had some massive like regression to the mean in a positive direction coming. With the Celtics, you always felt like it could. But to your point, there's no margin of error, right? You do it once. And the Heat did not play well in the second half. They missed shots. They were careless with the ball. You can't just assume that'll happen. Jalen Brown is in, I don't know what planet he's on right now, but he's got to come back at some point. They can't really afford too many more clunkers from him, if, if any at all. And, you know, 
you could say that the Heat got super lucky with their three-point shooting, and they probably did. However, they only need to get lucky one more time. Yep. And that's the thing. They have all the cards. The the, the pressure, if they do lose game five, is going to be enormous um, coming back home to game six. Because even though Miami, uh, Boston's not been great at home, still game seven at home. They beat Philadelphia. They beat Milwaukee last year. You know, they have been able to close teams out in their building. And Tatum's gone nuts in, the, in both of those situations. So I think it has to be done in six or the Celtics have a very, very good shot of winning, which would be content for days and then the other interesting wrinkle is the nuggets who are undefeated at home this season suddenly start the series on the road in boston if they if the Celtics forgot about that yeah and so that's where you know that's where this becomes a pretty big issue and also where the nuggets resting down the stretch may have cost them because they're unbelievable at home and you know you can almost pencil them in to, to winning every game there if they don't get all you know four out of seven then what does that do that series but we're a little bit ways from that I want to talk about Jimmy Butler quickly. He's 33. Um, he His contract was voted one of the worst in the league a couple of years ago, just for how it was going to age in the Simmons and Van, uh, you know, Waz draft. He's been a stud uh, basically every year he's been in Miami. The only time they did not advance to at least the conference finals was the um, bubble where they lost in round one. What do you make of this guy? Because his – Career is so interesting. This is his fourth team. He's been a six-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA, so it's nothing to write home about in the sense of that's like where Paul George is. In fact, George has more selections. But have you ever seen a guy that turns into, goes from like top 15 player to like top three whenever the lights are on? It's unbelievable. It happens every single season. I um, I've been so impressed. And every year, every postseason, he impresses me more. I, you want to hear something wild? You know how people say, like, oh, Jimmy reminds them of Jordan or Kobe? I think those comparisons aren't doing him justice with the way he turns it on in the postseason. Because to your point, those guys are already great to begin with. But what Jimmy's done, and it's just, he's living in these guys' heads. Like, he's living in their heads. He's, cocky and brash about it and it works because he backs it up and he's got a little bit of that you know the the he starts hunting mismatches he starts playing a one-on-one game and it works and he's good enough defensively that he's not going to kill you on that end i i don't know what we'll think of his of his career at the end because look the likelihood of him winning a title probably not high so in 20 years, how do we look back on a guy like Jimmy Butler? Do we look at him like Reggie Miller? Where, don't get me wrong, Reggie Miller not close to as good. Maybe. I'm not but, a big Reggie guy, but yeah. But Reggie yeah. Miller had those postseason moments, the choking thing, got to the finals, eventually lost, yeah. right? But at the end of the day, he's a guy in the 90s who never won a ring, 20 points per game. That was his legacy. My worry is that as much as we talk about how great this run is, if Jimmy doesn't win a title, he's 33. He's not going to have many seasons like this. He kind of, I don't know how much he'll be remembered. But I think Which would it's be super unfortunate. Good. I hope that's not the case because um, he's an amazing guy to have on your squad. And it'll always be a huge what if in Philadelphia. I think <laughs> Philly, the, the, the Sixers fans are apocalyptic basically on Twitter, especially as this Butler run is coming and we got to relive all of the you chose Brett Brown and fucking Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. Like the whole deal. Like we get all of those tweets and they're so, so mad. And I guess it was Elton Brand. I don't even know who was running the Sixers at the time. Um, but yeah, man. I mean, you could argue that 2019 Sixers team was as close as Butler is going to get to a title, even though that was a round two loss. Because there's no way that the Heat were beating the Lakers without Bam and without Dragic and all that. And this year will be the next best chance and probably the best chance. But if you look at it, the Nuggets are 6-0 and versus the Heat in the last three seasons, and Jokic has absolutely gone to town. Um, now they're going to try Kevin Love on him, I bet, if they do advance. And that is going Barbecue to be – Yeah, that, that's going to be ugly quick. Uh, but they can't get Bam in foul trouble, and he's too small. So I don't really know how they'd guard him. But anyway, we'll get to that next week I, based on what – Yeah, go ahead. I think Jimmy just uh, – you know, part of it's his fault. He has the uh, the secret. No, but I mean, what do you want him to do? This is incredible. This four year stretch. No, no, no. Finals in a conference final. 
No, hear me out, right? He's always been a little bit of a malcontent. Um, yeah. Things went sour in Chicago. He left. Things went sour in... Um, Minnesota. Minnie, he left. Things went sour in Philly. And when I say sour, it's not that um, he was the reason, but he got fed up, right? For for good reason or not, right? He didn't like Simmons. He didn't like Towns. He didn't like the way the team was. He didn't like the fact that guys around him didn't have fire. And that's fine. But that also cost him his most of his prime was on teams that could not work with him and he could not work with them. I think that's where a lot of the credit has to go to the heat because this is time and time and again, an organization that seemingly can bring in anyone, no matter what the ego, no matter what the skill level and get the best out of them. So I, I think Jimmy's it's super commendable what he's done. I also think for all the jokes we make about heat culture, they get a lot of credit too for fostering an environment where, you know, he can be himself. He can play up to his level and they've surrounded him with guys who can also kind of, they're not talented, but Hey, what Jimmy's comfortable playing with them and willing to ride with them. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, that's definitely true, but you could argue he was vindicated and correct about every single one of the guys he burned on the way. Oh, out, he, right? he was not wrong. Right. But I but could also you... argue that he should have stuck it out in Philly. They'd win a title. That team was talented enough to win a title. But they didn't, I mean, they chose Simmons, right? Simmons got, Simmons felt threatened by Butler. And the fact that if you remember that Toronto series, Butler had the ball. Simmons was just standing around because there was nothing he could add on the court. Embiid was down low. Butler was a perimeter ball handler. And Simmons was like, this isn't working for me. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. Butler should have left regardless. Um, Or, I mean, the Sixers made that decision for him, even if Butler wanted to stay. But, you know, what, what I'm saying, though, is that he has also been frustrated with these situations. And I think he's finally found a good one, but it's a little too late in terms of does it really impact his, does he really get thought of as the guy he should be thought of as? So. Well, if they find a way to win the title this year, it may be the most single impressive run to a title in, I don't know, ever. It, it will be. It'll be the most impressive title ever. It's, it's the lowest odds of a team to reach the finals and certainly to win the finals. Uh, the last team that had this low of odds actually lost in the finals, the 86 Rockets. They were a six seed with Ralph Sampson and Hakeem. And um, yeah, or 85, maybe I can't remember. But anyway, if they were to actually pull it off, he goes down as I think that takes his all time legacy ranking. That changes everything. Due to everything. Um, and it also does, it also shows me that he's not done. So. Miami is the perfect roster or the perfect franchise to always be reinventing themselves. And so they can always say like, Hey, this didn't work. Let's go do this or whatever. For example, the wizards want to get out of the Beal business. The heat just saw how much better they played without Tyler hero. Now that would not be requisite value for Beal as a player, but you add the contract in maybe some type of Beal for Lowry Robinson hero and a pick. And everyone starts over, right? And you reinvent yourself with another star and you pick up more undrafted guys to fill in the gap. So, like, there's a lot of ways they can go, win or lose. And I think they'll stay competitive and he's still playing, you know, at his peak of powers. And the Heat make a lot of moves that aren't great, but they never, it never cripples them, weirdly enough. It never ends up hurting them. They take chances. Lowry, I'd argue, did not pan out the no, way they he wanted didn't. to. Um, but, you know, even Duncan Robinson for a while, it looked like that was a bad contract. It might still be, but all of a sudden, he's shown new signs of life in this series. So, yeah. I, but, yeah, man, Jimmy, I think it all starts with him. And um, with Boston, I don't know. Like, what do you think, let's say Boston loses this series. Maybe they get one more. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought Russillo and Simmons had a good discussion where Simmons was like, look, you can't just immediately blow something up. Because uh, if you get this far, that's all you can ask for. Only one team makes it to the finals every year. This is still a contending core. They're the number two seed. They got to the conference finals. Don't rush or overreact. At the same time, this core has been together for so long. And at a certain point, it feels like they don't even believe in each other. Jalen Brown is going to get paid, but he also Mm -hmm. seems a little discontent. So, do you think they make drastic moves if they lose the series? Or do you think they should stay the course? I don't think they trade Brown. Um, and I don't think they fire Missoula. So in that sense, I would say no. Um, I may be wrong on one or both of those. I just think they're going to add some veteran coaching around Missoula. They're going to let him grow into that role. 
Um, and then two, I just think, what are you going to go get for Brown? I mean, the best case scenario is you reset with like younger pieces that are like cheaper on average and you break up that salary to create more depth. They have depth, right? I think the bigger issue is like what contract are you going to give them? If they have to give them the Supermax, then you think long and hard. If you can find a way to get him for less than that, maybe the regular max or a little over the regular max, then you go for it. I think what you do is you trade smart. You trade maybe Rob Williams. Um, Maybe you figure out what Horford wants to do. He's got one more in him or does he retire? And I think you build around it differently, but you keep Brown and Tatum because like for like, I mean, they've been as successful as any team in the league over the last six years, minus of course, winning a title, right? Like aside from the Warriors, who else has been that consistently good and, and played in as many high leverage games as they have? And Tatum's 25, Brown's 26. They're still growing into their roles. Even if you think Brown is capped as a player, Tatum has got another step to go um, when you just think about the evolution of wings and all those kinds of things. I think it would be a little bit premature to to fold shop, but I think you have to change something because after a while, if you don't win a title like we saw with the Lob City Clippers, like we've seen with other other runs, you just get sick of each other because everyone's trying to like fire each other up and it's just like, dude, fuck off. Like you were the one that messed up last game or like you're the, you know, like this is natural. Um, so I think Tatum and Brown can stay together. I think you'll see a good amount of change around them. I agree with that. I think you keep them together. You bite the bullet, pay him. Obviously you can't let him walk for nothing. And smart. I think smart needs to get moved. I think smart needs to get moved and Horford, Rob Williams. I think Rob Williams is, um, value is kind of, we thought of him very differently a year ago. I think, I don't think he's a piece they, they need to keep as part of that core. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. It's just, but at the same time, it's like, even with the Tatum Brown core, you've run this five years in a row. And yes, you're knocking on the door each time. One year you went to the finals. It'll eventually work. But this is Brown at his peak. Maybe you do have to think about, you know, maybe next year just shopping him because you'll get good value back for a player like Brown. That's right. Um, Yeah. I mean, if, if he's available, teams are going to be lining up. Um, And whether you go get a guy like Dame as a star for star kind of move, or you go break it up, like I said, and get depth, or you get one of these top draft picks outside of the Victor range, who knows kind of what they're, what they would be angling for, but you got to stay competitive as long as Tatum is on the team because he, he gives you that floor. Nope. All right, before we go, final predictions for Boston-Miami. I'll say uh, Miami in six. I think I think Boston will squeeze one more out at home, but I think six. Miami in six or Boston in seven? Let's say that. Let's get, let's get a little <laughs> Why don't spice. you just take the remaining outcomes as well? Um, <laughs> I'm going Miami in five. I think they close it out tomorrow night, and we get a week off before the finals. Okay, so. so all that talk about Boston and now you're still going with Miami in five. Yeah, I just think Butler, he seems too cool under pressure. He posted a couple good Instagram uh, picks, and so I'm back in on them. Put, put the money on the money line then. They're eight-point dogs. They must be like, what, plus two-something? 250, 300, yeah. That's there what I'm go. about to do. <laughs> all right, that's a wrap for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. We will talk to you next week with the live final. Thank you.